Amazing. So this is our start. This is where we're launching from. Follow, discovering and walking in the ways of Jesus. This is City Group Sunday. This is where we're launching into. If you've got your Bibles, you can pull them out. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be looking at three pretty profound verses, verses 3 to 6. And we'll dive into those verses um, in a few minutes together. I guess as we launch into this next six weeks, as we dive in as a community in small groups in homes across this city, um, to this profound reality of our lives in its connectedness to Jesus, I want to frame this morning by helping us again receive the challenge of what it is to really be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. You know, as we dive in in small groups, we're going to be looking at uh, numerous things that as we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus as he walked this earth, he, he the way he lived life, the way he orientated his life is something that we want to learn from. You know, and so we're going to look at, first and foremost, we're going to look at intimacy. We're going to dive into the, the, the concept and the understanding that, that Jesus was fully connected to Father God. He lived out his life, every, every place he put his foot, every place that he placed his hands was in connection to this relationship, this intimacy with the Father. And he had this deep understanding of hearing the Father's voice. You know, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't just simply immerse himself in an earthly structure. But what we see so clearly is that that he had a kingdom perspective. So in the second week, we're going to dive in and look at the lens of the kingdom, how Jesus really uh, saw and observed and interacted with humanity, uh, but, but not from an earthly perspective, but from the perspective of the kingdom. We're going to look at his character. Like, What did Jesus really look like? Who was he as a man? What are we, what, what's our journey as we follow him, as we reflect his character? We're going to look at, at how he did relationships, the, the interactions that he had with humanity, people, individuals. Again, Jesus didn't come to earth and live a disconnected life from people. He immersed himself fully in humanity. He was fully God and fully human. So we're going to learn from how he did his relationships. We're going to dive into how in As we reflect on the complexity of our own lives, the complexity of of life in general, we're going to look at the simplicity, the way that Jesus orientated himself with with such beauty and simplicity towards life. And then finally, we're going to dive into uh, the, the enormous perspective that Jesus had as he came to a temporal earth, but held in an eternal uh, eternal mindset, an eternal lens as he considered everything that he did on earth. And so this is the journey we're on. And as that video said, I, I want to challenge you this morning as we, as we set sail on that journey together. Are we ready to have our life shaped and defined and restored, and maybe even renewed by walking in the way of Jesus? Santino, who uh, is here in front of us, I have known Sam for many, many years. And one of the things, I, uh, he's my brother-in-law, married to Emma. Emma is Sarah's sister. Peace to all together for you. Um, when San and Emma lived in Hastings, we would go down at Christmas time, and um, we love spending Christmas together as, as all of the little family and all the respective families came together. Adie and Alice would be there, and uh, we love family times, but there's a little sneaky thing which we brother-in-laws, like we love Christmas Day, it was great, but we would always be hatching a plan with what we were going to do come Boxing Day, because there's something profound about Boxing Day, right? It's shopping day. And the thing I love about my brothers-in-law, especially AD, I think, especially San, he takes the lead on this. I think you'd agree, AD. But San's love language is shopping. It's like one of his primary love languages. 
But one of the things that I only learned about Santino, we used to go out boxing. I still have this bag that I've never used that all three of us bought on Boxing Day. <laughs> never used it, uh, but we all bought it together. We got excited and got carried away, bought this man bag. Who wears a man bag? Anyway, another story. Anyway, the thing I learned about Santino is when he moved north with the family to come and join the staff team, um, I discovered something about Sand that was a little disturbing. I felt like it was important that we share it in the sort of uh, in the culture of honesty and openness and vulnerability. It would only be right that I share all of Santino's with you, right? So here's the thing about Santino. Sand does love shopping. He really loves buying shoes. Really loves shoes, which I can get on board with. I love buying shoes too. Like shopping with Sand. All of those things sometimes come together in a glorious time when we'll go shopping for shoes. San and I were at a conference six months ago in Northern Ireland, and we had some time to kill, and we um, were driving along, we saw a Nike outlet store, which is just like, of course, we're going to go spend some time in the Nike outlet store. So we went and spent uh, some time in the Nike outlet store, amazing deals, amazing bargains. San bought himself a sweet pair of Nike Air Max. Beautiful, incredible price, so good, amazing. That was six months ago. Let me show you what is in this box. These are Santino's brand new, never been worn, Nike Air Max. Never been, this is six months. Six months ago, we bought these together. And so what I discovered about San when he moved up north is that he, has, he does this weird thing. He buys shoes and then just leaves them in the box. And then periodically, he'll go upstairs. I think he likes the smell of new shoes. I think that's what it is. But periodically, he'll go upstairs and just get his new shoes out and look at them. Just look at them. And then he'll put them back in the box and they won't be worn. And I'm not talking, like, like I say, I'm not talking a couple of weeks. This is literally, um, this is not a prop. These are the brand new shoes that Sam bought six months ago that are still in the box. I think... When it comes to our walk with Jesus, that often reflects how we treat the moment of salvation, this, this amazing moment when we step into new relationship with Jesus. And then for many of us, we put that back in a box because we, it just it looks tidier in the box. And I think for many of us, we, we, we've come into a, a great revelation of the enormity and size and magnitude of the, of the gift of salvation. But it's become the end of the conversation. The reality of what Jesus did on the cross for each one of us, it was not the end of the journey, it was the beginning of the journey. For Sam to go and buy these shoes and pay his money and take them home, it should not have been the end of the journey. And yet, here it is, the brand new shoes in the box. Should be the beginning of the journey. Should be wearing those shoes. So I'd encourage you, next time you see San, encourage him in his ability to wear the shoes. Because, guys, listen, the way in is the way on. John Wimber coined that phrase. And, and, and really, there's, there's so much of our walk with Jesus, so much of what we find as in our journey of faith is that the way we came into our relationship with Jesus. It's actually the way on in our relationship with Jesus. You know, it, it was God's grace that brought us into relationship with Jesus. And it's God's grace that leads us on in our relationship with Jesus. The way in is the way on. 
You know, we came to faith through Jesus, but now we live our faith through Jesus. Jesus is not the end of the conversation. The cross is not the end of the conversation. It's the beginning of the conversation. The way in was through Jesus, and now the way on is with Jesus. And this is where we find ourselves this morning, at this point. And for many of you, you've, you've, you have decades of, of walking with Jesus behind you. But I, I pray that for each one of us in this community, that this morning and, and the time that we spend together in homes would be a catalyst for a deeper, more profound, more dedicated walk with Jesus. That maybe for some of you, you would reflect on your own life and say, yeah, I remember when I made that decision to follow Jesus. But maybe that decision has found its way into a box and has sat there unused. The way in is the way on. John Mark Comer, who's a brilliant pastor in, in Portland, great writer, he said this, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adapt to the lifestyle of Jesus. In other words, if you want to experience the full life of the gospel, you have to walk in the reality of, of what that gospel actually means. It's a life-changing dynamic. And you have to adapt to the lifestyle of Jesus. Jesus wasn't a, a, a ticket master handing you a train ticket to eternity. He's the one, when you said yes to him, that you said yes to a journey with him, a walk with him, a life with him, not just a moment with him. So I want to dive into this passage of Scripture in 1 John 2, and I want to share it from a few different translations, mainly so I can wring every aspect out of this verse. There's so much in its profound, um, in, in, in its, it is profound, but it's also so beautifully simple. So 1 John 2, verse 3 to 6, let's read it together. In fact, before we do that, John's an amazing writer um, because he, he writes from this relational lens. He, he's the one that um, is, when you read um, his gospel, he's all about the relationship. So if he, can, if he can describe something to you, he's going to describe it in its relational form. He's unlike Paul. Paul was very prescriptive and very cerebral around like what we should believe and how we should believe it and then what it would look like in our lives. John was more like, hey, let me, let me describe the relational equity that you'd find. And so in his description that we find here in 1 John, he, he's, he's helping us understand the relational fabric of a follower of Jesus to this man called Jesus. Verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not know what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So John boils this, the complexity of relationship to God down to this profoundly simple principle. Whoever claims to live in him, live in God, must live as Jesus lived. In one sense, we could take that verse and say, well, let's walk out the door and go apply that to my life for the next three score years and 10, whatever we have. Like that in its simplicity is such a profound verse by which to live from. 
you know, no more and no less was attached to it. It was simply, if you want to walk in relationship with God, there is a blueprint that you find Jesus. Live as Jesus did. Let's read this same, the same verses from the Phillips translation. It says this, In practice, the more a man learns to obey God's law, the more truly and fully does he express his love for him. In other words, there's a journey connected to my love relationship with God that rests on my obedience to God. Now, don't be confused. We don't, we don't have relationship with God simply by our actions, by our obedience. That's all to do with what Jesus did on the cross. But in our journey with God, in nurturing this love relationship, there is something we've got to pay attention to in the realms of my obedience to him. Like, what I do matters. Carrying on, obedience is a test of whether we really live in God or not. It's, it's a, a litmus test. It's, a, it's an example. Like, my obedience is the test of whether we really live in God or not. The life of a man who professes to be living in God must bear the stamp of Christ. I love that. It's a really profound picture. It's saying if you were to open up the window of my life, wherever I go, be it when I'm at work, whether I'm in the car, that's a really important one for me at the moment, Sarah will tell you. When my life gets cracked open when I'm driving, does it, does it display the stamp of Christ? Often not. But when there's a window into my life, when somebody's looking into the window of my life, the story of my life as it, as it plays itself out, are people seeing the stamp of Christ? Do people see Jesus? This is one of the things we've got to hold up in front of us. Is, oh, you know, th these verses aren't just simply something we could you know, gain information. This is, this is challenging, life-shaping words. We're going to be found in God. Does my life bear the stamp of Christ? Could someone walk with me and at some level be able to articulate something of who Christ is in me? Does my life bear the stamp of Christ? I love the amplified version of these same verses. Let's read this together. It says, but whoever habitually keeps his word and obeys his precepts and treasures his message in its entirety, in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. It is completed and reached maturity. By this we know for certain that we are in him. Whoever says he lives in Christ, that is, whoever says he's accepted him as God and Savior, ought as a moral obligation to walk and conduct himself just as he walked and conducted himself. This translation pulls out uh, this word perfected. It's a, a word that's found elsewhere in, in Scripture. And one of the fullest sense of this word perfected actually means mature. So this journey of, of following Jesus, it, it, it's, not only, it, it's not only do I live as Jesus did, it's not only do, does my life bear the stamp of Christ, but actually am I growing up? Like, if I was to observe my own life and my own walk with Jesus, would I say that today I'm more mature, I'm, I'm more grown up in my walk with Jesus than I was last year? 
This is the lens that we have to hold Scripture up to our lives and ask the questions. Maturity is a key part of this journey. Are we growing up? And these verses help us. It says, maturity looks like obedience, keeping his word and obeying his precepts. Maturity looks like valuing what God values, treasuring his message in its entirety, meaning we don't get to add to it, but also we don't get to pick and choose. Like this is not a a pick and choose journey of following Jesus. I like those bits because it fits with my circumstance or the life stage I'm in or the business or my work. It's, It's not that. It's an all or nothing deal that Jesus offers us in this journey of following him. Maturity is, the, is what flows from my decision to say yes to Jesus. And then now, what does my life look like in comparison to Jesus? As I see how he walked, how he conducted himself, is that how I walk? Is that how I conduct myself? This is the mirror that we hold up to our lives. And it poses one of the most significant questions any follower of Jesus can ask. And it's a question we hold over this community all the time. And it is, who am I becoming? It's one of the most profound questions where whether you are just new to walking with Jesus or you've been walking with Jesus for 40 years, it does not matter. Because the issue of maturity is the issue is, is not a, an issue of time served. Maturity is not... Have I warmed this seat for over 10 years? It is not a question of time served. It is a question of, does my life bear the stamp of Christ? Do I live as Jesus lived? Am I more mature? Am I growing in more maturity to be like him? Who are we becoming? When you think about um, Jesus and his first interactions with those that were his followers, Jesus called his followers and he said, come and be my disciples. You can work with me on this. Come and be my disciples. Disciples, like Jesus wasn't auditioning for a boy band. Like this wasn't the title of the the band that they were about to form. Like that wasn't, it wasn't, when Jesus said, come and be my disciples, he wasn't giving like a, a label to a group of people that kind of sat It wasn't a band. It wasn't like he got together a group of people and said, all right, we're a a group of guys. What are we going to call ourselves? And someone's like, I think we should call ourselves the disciples and I'm going to play drums. It wasn't that. That wasn't the story. That wasn't the conversation that went down. Jesus called these guys disciples because there's a, a profound ideology connected to being a disciple that was not simply a label. It was a way of life. And interestingly, Jesus, again, wasn't like, oh, I need a new description of how I'm going to call a group of people that are following me. I'll just call them a disciple. He called them disciples because he actually borrowed that word from Greek culture. There was a Greek um, system, which was actually followed, it followed on from um, the more a- academic um, phase of a young person's life. It was that phase after they'd gone through all of their um, classroom teaching. And then there was a system called the discipleship system. And a better word that actually in Greek culture they used was apprentice. So this helps frame a little bit more that Jesus wasn't just looking for a label to call this group of men that were following him. He was actually, he was enrolling them to a system, a 
a system that was then going to define how this group of followers was going to live in relation to Jesus. Let me help you understand. See, in those days, an apprenticeship, once you'd gone through your classroom education and you began to uh, show um, skill or, or interest or passion in a certain thing, maybe it was carpentry, maybe it was, maybe it was jewelry making, maybe it was trade, what you would then go on do, you would move from the classroom where you would learn theory and intellect and you would have a didactic experience with a teacher teaching you theory. You would move from that stage and you would go and become an apprentice. You would step into this discipleship system. And the nature of an apprenticeship was this, is is that you found somebody who was a master of the thing that you wanted to achieve. So you'd go find the best jewelry maker. You would go find the best craftsperson, the best carpenter. You would go find them and you would, you would um, enter into a relational connect with them called an apprentice. You would become an apprentice of that master. You would enter into a discipleship system. An apprentice could be to any trade. You would go and you would live for free um, with them. You weren't paid to be an apprentice. You would study under somebody to become a master of their trade. And this is the language that Jesus is adopting. Because he's trying to paint a, a much broader picture than simply just... Because I think we've, we've boiled discipleship down to classroom. Like we've reverted to the, the simplistic. Like in church we say, oh, you know, we're going to a discipleship class where in some way one person teaches didactically, didactically to my head and it's all information and I'm learning something in my head. That wasn't what Jesus called. He didn't call them to a classroom. He called them to himself. And it's the same call to you and I this morning. He doesn't call us to learn cerebrally. I'm just going to say, he doesn't call us to learn in our heads. He calls us to come live with him. And it was the difference between a, a classic classroom form of study that children would have experienced up to that point. But what marked out this type of learning was it involved one master and usually several students who they would come and they would live with, they would observe, they would serve underneath this master in order to gain the skill, the wisdom, the insight that they needed in order to be a master themselves. When I say master, I'm not talking about um, oppressive slavery. It was simply just an acknowledgement that the person who I was apprenticing under was a master of their trade. And the three key dynamics that, that defined the apprentice relationship were that they would have to be with their master, be like their master, and finally do what their master did. Be with, become like, and do what they do. And it's the same invitation when Jesus calls his disciples, calls his apprentices, that he was offering them. He was offering them to come into a system of learning where they would be with Jesus where they would become like Jesus and they do what Jesus did. And then that, you have to understand that this, this, is, a, this is an all-in type relationship. There was no half measures. There was no part-time option. There was no pick and choose. There was no like, I just went with Luke um, yesterday to, to go look at colleges where you could choose from a plethora of different courses and you, you could take a half course in that or, a, or an entry-level course in this and a, and a full A-level in this and an and a, and a AS level in that. And I was like, oh, wow, it's very pick and choose. You can pick and choose what you want. It's amazing. 
That's not what an apprentice was all about. It was not pick and choose. It was not like, oh, Jesus, I love what you're doing with the sick. That's amazing. But the poor thing, not that interested in. They smell. Like it wasn't pick or choose. It was like, I submit my life as an apprentice to you, and I come and I live with you. I am with you. You are present with me, and I am present with you. And I'm learning to be like you. And in the process of being like you, I'm learning to do the things that you do. This is what God called, just what Jesus calls each one of us to in relation to Him. It's all or nothing. You can't be with Jesus and not become like Him. You can't become like him and just choose not to do what he does. It's, it's the whole package. It is a discipleship system where my life is submitted to the life of Jesus. It really is all or nothing. Luke, um, in Luke 9, he describes this and he, he uses what Jesus says again to speak to this concept of discipleship. In Luke 9, 23, it says this, Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be with me, become like me, and do what I do, whoever wants to become my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. In other words, that great plan that you had for your life, that great plan that you had for lunch, that great thing that you thought you were going to do that was apart from me, that's no longer on the table. We might get to that, but you're going to do it with me. It was just a reconfiguring of the way of the way a follower would think. They would not think apart from what am, where am I being with Jesus? Where am I becoming like him? And where am I doing what he's doing? There wasn't this sense of um, you know to take up our cross, to, de- to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and then follow. It's not a concept whereby we can give half-heartedly to this process, where we can say, well, you can have my Monday through Wednesday, but my Thursday and Friday are pretty wrapped up. I've got pretty busy schedules. Those are my kind of like high work demand days. I give you, I give you the first part of the week, and then Thursday and Friday, I need to leave. I've got to have my own time. This was not what an apprentice was all about. Because ultimately, this is the one that we follow. This is the one that we're becoming. So when we ask ourselves that profoundly simple but life-changing question, who am I becoming? The answer really is Jesus. It is the Sunday school right answer every time. It is Jesus. Who am I becoming? I'm becoming like Jesus. And the process of that is that that I need to acknowledge that I I need to be with Jesus. Like his presence. Emmanuel. God with us. That's a profound starting place for this discipleship journey. That the God is, Jesus is with you and you're with him. The growing and learning and nurturing how we become like Jesus and then committing to doing what he did. The answer to the question, who am I becoming? It is Jesus. Dallas Willard said this, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. That's what you'll take to eternity. And listen, as we dive into these six weeks together, we're going to dive into some profoundly um, inspiring things around the life of Jesus. But that's exactly what it needs to be. It needs to be an inspiration to define our lives. 
Because ultimately, that's what we take to eternity with us. Now, I want to be honest with you, and as we close out this morning, that I want to say this, that the reality of following Jesus, it is the great disruption. It's not to be taken lightly. It's a great disruption. For many of you, the the reality of, of your plans and purposes and the things that you have aspiration for that lie ahead of you, they're all good and amazing things. But maybe this morning you would reflect and go, how much of that is born out of time I've spent with Jesus, me becoming more like him, and how much of those are those things defined by the things of what Jesus would do? Listen, following him is, is the great disruption. You know, we know those moments in life when we're, we, you know, we're, we know where we're heading, we know what we're doing, we're almost on autopilot doing everything and then all of a sudden something takes us by surprise and we're disturbed and everything's kind of disorientated and we have to reevaluate and we have to reconsider. Let that be what happens this morning. Like take the brave decision to allow the reality of being a follower of Jesus disrupt your normal life. Let it become something that irritates, provokes, disrupts the normality of your life to say, I'm no longer living my normal life, I'm living his normal life. The normal Christian life is a life of apprenticeship, that we are with Jesus, he is with us, that we're becoming more like him, and that ultimately we lay the whole resource of our life towards the things that he laid the resource of his life towards. And in a moment, I want to pray for you because I know that, that in the challenge again of saying, am I following Jesus? There's an acknowledgement perhaps that, that, that it comes with a great challenge. It comes at great, great cost. You know, when he said in Luke 9, to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, that was not a small hurdle that Jesus was placing in front of us. He's saying, I... I want all of you. I need you to be all in. The concept of apprenticeship is not something that you can do part-time. I want all of you present with me, becoming like me and doing the things I do. But as we pray together and as we set sail on this city group run, looking at what it is to really be a follower of Jesus, I want to read Matthew 11 over you because I want in the midst of great challenge this moment of realizing again that that we weren't just buying a ticket to eternity but we were connected to a a Jesus who wants to walk with us in and through our humanity in and through our story in and through our day our week our month our year when we realize that's what we committed to there's a great strength that God adds to that story so why don't you stand I'm going to pray with you